We are continuing on in our series, Freedom in Christ. And there is so much freedom to be found in following Jesus. There is nothing like it. Nothing else in this world offers the freedom that we can find in Jesus. There is no other method. There's no other way of life, no other belief system, uh, no other outlook other than following Jesus. And so today uh, we've looked at the, the, the last couple of weeks, a couple of freedoms, the freedom from lies and the freedom from fear. And today we're looking at freedom from unforgiveness. Now, this is something that can easily creep in on us without us even realizing it. It can uh, just kind of pop up in our lives, and before we even know we even had an issue with this, we become overwhelmed with holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness. And it's so easy for us to hold grudges. It's so easy. And, and the thing about us as humans is that we like to have a couple of different standards. We have the expectations and standards for ourselves for how we forgive others and how it's okay for us to hold on a little bit to, to some grudges. But then we have expectations for others, it's much lower bar of, no, you should forgive. You should not hold on to grudges. And so uh, I think it's going to be interesting today as we look and see what the Word says that if left unchecked, though, uh, because before we know it, uh, those feelings can impact even other areas of our lives. So it's not just holding on to unforgiveness. It begins to impact our life, as we're going to see. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 12 to 15. Um, but before we get there, while you're turning, I, I want to kind of talk about the lead up and give you some context. In Colossians chapter 1, you see that Paul works through who Christ is and now who we are because of who Christ is, our identity. Heresy and false teaching that, that would be easy for us to, believe, to buy into and believe. And he tells us to avoid empty philosophies and things that would lead you astray. And then chapters 3 and 4, to close out the book, he deals with how the church should live, how it should live life together and orient its life together towards Christ. And nestled right in the middle of that section, we find what we're going to read today. Let's read, read this along with me. It will also be on the screen, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another just as the lord has forgiven you so you are also to forgive above all put on love which is the perfect bond of unity and let the peace of christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful now thanks be to god for his word today now, from the outset, I, I just want to give you a heads up for where we're headed, especially for those of you who are taking notes. I know how much of a struggle it can be to get every little jot, uh, everything down. I know that's my struggle sometimes when Mark is preaching. But here's where we're headed today. Four main points. One, freedom from unforgiveness starts with identity. Secondly, freedom from unforgiveness flows from love and compassion. Third, freedom from unforgiveness is a command. That's going to be an interesting one. Fourth, freedom from unforgiveness actually paves the way 
for the whole body of Christ to fulfill the calling that Christ has called us to as a people. So forgiveness is something that we don't take a lot of time to ponder or consider until either we have been we have wronged someone that we need to ask forgiveness for or we ourselves have been wronged. It's interesting to me that in our human nature, we have those kind of two different standards that I've talked about. Uh, It's easy for us to expect others to forgive, especially when it's not us needing to extend the grace. Uh, I appreciate what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Uh, Unforgiveness is an issue that can easily snowball out of control and quickly turn into an avalanche. I don't know if you've ever been out in the hills and seen an avalanche and how quickly that happens or seen it on a video or, you know, and just it is the most crazy thing to watch how something that looks like it's not that terrible of a thing from a long way off, when you get up close to it, can be absolutely devastating. And that's the way unforgiveness can be in our lives. So we go from being upset about something to spending more and more time thinking on it and dwelling on it. And before you even know it, unforgiveness has taken residence in your heart and has rooted yourself there, and it has become a focal point in your mindset and in your heart. Funnily enough, though our passage isn't anchored in this concept of of forgiveness, uh, though it, it is anchored, it doesn't actually start there. It starts somewhere else. In order to, to, to get to forgiveness, Paul actually looks at something else first, that freedom in Christ, whether it's freedom from lies or fear like we've seen the last two weeks, or like today, freedom from unforgiveness, it 100% starts with identity, who we are in Christ. What identity are you living out of in your day-to-day life? See, when we read these verses, we can read these from two different perspectives, one of two places. Uh, One, from a personal, kind of self-centered perspective. And in in reading it that way, it's not a fun passage to read. You know, and we we can all do this. I mean, none of these things are what I want to do or what I want to spend my time pursuing. And that's because every single thing in this passage runs counter to our nature. Because our nature wants to be about us and our preferences and me having control and me wanting things my way. And the last thing we want to do is to be compassionate especially to those that we find difficult or we find it hard to be around or kind of frictious with us that, oh, I don't, I don't really line up with them. They don't really act like I act or believe like I believe. It's, it's okay to be compassionate to strangers, but the people I live life with that are difficult, mm, that's not necessarily something I want to do. The last thing we want to do when we feel that we've been wronged is to extend grace and just to let it go and forgive. Let's just get this out of the way from the beginning. What Paul is calling the church to be here in this passage is impossible. It's not possible for me or for you to do this in our own strength. It's only through the power of Christ in us, through the working of the Holy Spirit, that we can do this. You can't do this in your own strength. And if we're really honest in our flesh, we don't want to do this. It's only through Christ working in us, changing our heart, changing how we think, changing our attitudes. But this is what it means to follow Jesus. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As God's chosen ones. As ones who've now been made holy. 
as ones who are dearly loved, if you put faith in Christ as the way to being made right with God, then this is your identity today. This is what God says about you, that you are a chosen one, that you have now, because of Christ, been made holy, that you are dearly loved. And I I hate to, to be the bearer of bad news today, but we didn't do that because of, God didn't do that because of how amazing we are. He didn't extend those things to you because you're an amazing person. I'm sure you're nice. I know all of you, and I know you're nice people. But I, and I like to think I'm a good person. But it wasn't because of how great we are that God did those things in our lives. It's because of how great he is, that he extended these things to us. No, none of us were in a position where God looked at us and was in awe of how great we are. Every single one of us was in the same state enemies of God, not just kind of in a, had a differing viewpoint, actually enemies of God, and yet God chose to love us. Ephesians 2 puts it really blatantly honest about the state of things. It says this in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previous, previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the, the working, the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in disobedient. Verse 3, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of the flesh, the, the, the inclinations of my heart and my flesh, they're all contrary to God. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift gift not from works so that no one can boast man i love that that is so good at holiday club last summer so two holiday clubs ago the children were uh were memorizing a verse that summer from ephesians 2 the very next verse verse 10 says we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared ahead of time for us to do you and i if we've been made right with god through jesus are god's workmanship some translations say masterpiece brothers and sisters before we can ever talk about having a desire to forgive and to bear with we have to first remind our hearts of our identity that we have been purchased at a high cost by god almighty through jesus christ we are god's chosen ones holy dearly loved once we were dead in our sins we've been made alive together with Christ. The whole focus of our lives used to be about our fleshly ways, the inclination of my heart, the things I wanted to do, but now it's been reorientated to what does God want for my life? How can I be a blessing to others because of how he's loved me? It's a different mindset. Thanks be to God that if we've put our faith in Jesus, we're no longer in that place of being under wrath. We're now in a place where God has lavished his love, poured out his love upon your life and my life. You've been forgiven. But does your life demonstrate that you're living in response to that identity? 
Is that a picture of your life? Because when we step into that identity of being a son and being a daughter, of being one who's been redeemed by God, of being transformed from a rebellious enemy of God to a beloved child, things in our hearts change. And, and I would ask this morning, do you see these changes, changes in the way you think, changes in the way that you have attitudes towards others, changes in the, the way that you act towards those in your life? Do you see those changes? If so, man, take comfort that God is working in you and growing you and maturing you. But if you struggle to see those changes, I would seriously question just how, sub, how much submission there is in your life toward God and his ways. Are you seeking after him? Is there a pursuit of him? And, and I say all of this because it's only from that place of having right identity that we can then turn our attention to look at this idea of for, forgiveness and bearing with one another, and living in harmony with one another. And that's because it's from that place of identity that we are uniquely placed to forgive, more so than anybody else in the world. Think about this. Who else in this whole world has experienced the depth of forgiveness that we have experienced? You know your sin. I know my sin. Yet God, who is holy and perfect, has freely forgiven me, totally, completely. He's just done that for us and his love. To experience that and to know that should position us to be in an in, in amazing place to want to forgive others, to extend the same thing to others. Why wouldn't we be astounded and find ourselves marveling at his goodness? And it's from those feelings of awe and wonder that we're perfectly positioned to treat others the same way. That you and I are able to see the situation and recognize that we're not deserving of receiving that forgiveness, yet God gives it to us. That didn't stop Jesus from coming to the earth and dying for us. And whether or not someone is deserving of forgiveness shouldn't stop us from extending the same grace to them. We're going to get to that in a second. Freedom from unforgiveness starts with identity. Second, freedom from unforgiveness flows from love and compassion. In verse 12, Paul tells the church in Colossae to put on compassion. He reiterates it again in verse 14 by saying to put on love. And he uses this imagery of like putting on a garment. This morning, if you're like me, you, you before you stepped out your door, you wanted to brace for what was going to meet you, especially if it's been like the last few days, uh, whether it's the cold or the wet or whatever it's going to be. So you, you put on some kind of layer to keep you warm, some kind of layer to keep you dry. And in the same way, Paul is saying, put on like a coat, love and compassion. Put it on. It's only from a place of love that we can be free to forgive others. If you, if you and I walk around wearing love, Wearing compassion, how can we harbor bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness towards others? Those two sets of things are incompatible. You can't do both of those things. And the reason we know this is because God is love. He's the very embodiment of compassion. If anyone had a reason to carry unforgiveness, anyone, it would be Jesus. He experienced persecution torture, pain, uh, unjust accusations like no one else, yet he chose to extend grace to us. Jesus was the means by which this was displayed to us. Look at 1 John 4 with me, starting in verse 7. Uh, 
John says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love God does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friend, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. If we will live out of this identity we now have in Christ and follow after the example of Jesus that he set for us, we'll see that there's great freedom in extending this kind of love and compassion. In our passage in Colossians 3, verse 13, Paul uses two Greek words there to, in, uh, as, uh, to communicate two ideas. The idea of bearing with others and the idea of forgiving others. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. The, the word for bearing with others has within it the root idea of making a truce. Uh, of two factions being at war with each other and making a truce to stop all the hostilities. One commentator noted about that word for bearing with others uh, that it means to make allowance for each other's faults or simply stated just to put up with each other, <laughs> which can be a, cho a chore sometimes, can it? it? It means to be patient with others in the sense of enduring possible difficulty. It means to endure, to hold out in spite of persecution, threats, injury, indifference, or complaints and not retaliate. And then Paul couples that idea with the Greek word that, that we translated as forgive. And that specific word really has two meanings. The first is the idea of giving grace freely, to bestow grace freely upon other people. Uh, the word includes the idea of favor or goodwill. It means that if we're going to follow after Jesus' example in forgiveness, we will live this way in a way that essentially forgives with a smile on our face. Or, or maybe it would be better to say we'll forgive with gladness in our heart because we don't always want to put a smile on our face when we extend forgiveness. And that's because when we extend forgiveness, sometimes the brokenness is still there. Sometimes the pain and the hurt is still there. Sometimes relationships still need to continue work through that process of repair. Situations may, may still involve some brokenness in a way that is temporary because of what's happened. But, but we're called to love as Christ loved, even in the midst of brokenness. And, and you may say, but you don't understand what I've endured. And I get that. I don't understand what you've endured. But to say that is to ignore the fact of how much Jesus endured. And as innocent as you think you are, he was infinitely more innocent. And as undeserving as you think you are, he was infinitely more undeserving. And I don't say that to be trite, but to put things in perspective. You may be completely in the right that you were undeserving of what happened in your life. Yet, God calls us to live in his strength and forgive, to freely bestow this grace just as he forgave and bestowed grace. So to be clear, the action of forgiving someone is, is removed from whether or not they deserve it, right? That's what, when Christ extended his forgiveness to us, it's not because we deserved it. it actually, we didn't deserve it. And that's kind of where we're headed next. That, that next definition of that word forgive, it, it carries the meaning of canceling debt. 
that someone owes you to cancel it. Uh, it would be like the government, you, you receiving something in the post, and, uh, and those, one of those dreaded letters that you just know is not going to be good news, that you open the envelope, and there it is. It is a, a, a notice from the government saying, by the way, there's been an error in calculations, and you owe millions in back taxes. And then the next paragraph says, but it all is forgiven. Now, I know that's unlikely <laughs> to happen, but still, uh, that's the sentiment here, to literally cancel out an impossible debt. And that's what G Paul says in relation to our forgiving others, to forgive, to cancel out a debt that seems impossible to repay. And as you look at our passage, what you see is that freedom from forgiveness is the outworking of what we saw putting on love and putting on compassion, clothing ourselves with all those things. And it's when we live out of our identity, like we said, but it's also when we actively clothe ourselves in these things that we're, that we're prone to. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He, that was his character. Jesus embodied the fullness of the Godhead. Colossians 1 says that, that he is the image of the invisible God, that everything we, we need to know about God was in there in Jesus, in the person of Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says that he was the exact representation of the nature of God, that everything we needed to know about God was right there in flesh for us. One of the clearest places you see kind of this, this picture of, of God's nature and of, as it pertains to forgiveness is in Psalm 103. I thought you were going to go there a couple times this morning. You were saying 133. I was like, oh, we had the same. But Psalm 103, my, my favorite psalm, in the whole book of Psalms, I love, I love Psalm 103. Verse 2 says, my soul, my soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. And down in verse 10, it says, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. You can't calculate that. You can't measure that. The idea being communicated there is an indefinite amount. It's unending. God has forgiven us to the point that there's no measure to his grace. Charles Spurgeon wrote a, a commentary on this, and his note about that verse 10 and that concept of from the east from the west is this. Sin is removed from us by a miracle of love. What a load to move. And yet it is removed so far that the distance is incalculable. Fly as far as the wing of imagination can bear you, and if you <coughs> journey through space eastward, you are further from the west at every beat of your wing. If sin be removed so far, then we may be sure that the scent, the trace, the very memory of it, it must be entirely gone. If this be the distance of its removal, there is no shade of fear of its ever being brought back again. This same level of forgiveness, Paul tells the Colossian church and to us, we need to have toward others. God calls us to extend this kind of love and grace to others because this is what he's done for us. So, freedom from forgiveness goes back to identity. Freedom from forgiveness flows from love and compassion. Next we see freedom from unforgiveness 
is a command, not forgiveness, but unforgiveness, sorry. Uh, Neil and I were actually joking about that this morning, and then I just made that mistake. Freedom from unforgiveness, let's be clear, uh, is a command. Paul isn't making a suggestion in verse 13 that it might be a good idea if you bear with other people. Things might be better in your life. It might be something to aspire to, to forgive others. No, that's not at all what he's saying there. Look at it again, verse 12. Therefore, as because of who you are, God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, put on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. And just in case we think it's a suggestion, he clarifies, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. That means this isn't just a good idea that we need to implement in our lives at the beginning of every year as we make out our goals for the year. No. Are there relationships in your life where there's hurt that's not been dealt with? Well, the command of Scripture is to address that. Is there bitterness in your heart? Are you harboring unforgiveness? Well, as a follower of Jesus, it is God's will and desire that you pursue reconciliation in those instances. And even though you can't always control how others receive that or how they respond to that, that's not on you. It's about your heart in this situation. What you and I choose to do, we must choose to extend grace. We must choose to extend forgiveness even in the middle of a difficult process. I know that's easier said than done, but there's so much life and freedom found in living this way. There are two critical pieces to the middle of this this picture of living this way marked by forgiveness. One, we cannot fall prey to the temptation to do nothing, just to let it be and see how it plays out. I just, mm, maybe I just need to give them some space. Reconciliation only happens as a result of difficult conversations. We cannot avoid difficult conversations. Yes, they're difficult. Yes, they're uncomfortable. Nobody likes having difficult conversations. They're painful. But you have to actually follow through with having hard conversations in order to see reconciliation happen sometimes. Second, notice that Paul says all of this in terms of putting on those those things he mentioned, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, putting on love. By using that language of putting it on like a garment, he's talking about something that takes intentionality. So this often begins not with feelings, but with a choice. You may not feel like offering forgiveness to others, but Paul doesn't say, feel like this and do it. He says, no, offer forgiveness. Forgive one another. You have to choose at times to forgive, even though there may not, you may not have the feelings. The name Corrie Tim Boom is a familiar one. She and her family lived in uh, Harlem, just outside of Amsterdam, and they were arrested and put into Nazi prison camps for hiding Dutch Jews from the Nazis. And uh, Years later, 1947, she had gone to Germany and was doing a speaking tour on the idea of forgiveness. And this is her testimony. I want to read a bit of it for you uh, from from this trip. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him. 
working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, his hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day been forgiven, I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And I stood still, there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. If ever there was a qualified voice that we should hear regarding forgiveness... It's Corey Beams. I love what she said there, that forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. No one is saying that obeying this command is easy or that it's pleasant, but what Scripture is saying is that just as God has forgiven us, the expectation of the follower of Jesus is to freely forgive others. Initially, it may take choosing to forgive, to overcome those feelings. And it may be a process where you have to daily choose, hourly choose, again and again and again to extend forgiveness. When you and I begin with choosing to forgive, Colossians 3 tells us that freedom from unforgiveness provides the way for us to obey the rest of the verses in this passage. It, it provides the way for us to do what 14 and 15 tell us to do. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. With unforgiveness lingering in your heart, you will not be able to put on love. 
you will not be unified with the rest of the body. The thing we prayed for this, this morning, peace will not rule your heart if there's bitterness, resentment, harboring on the inside. If you've ever walked through having to forgive someone from deep-seated pain, significant hurt in your life, you know that in the end, this is something unbelievably freeing, that releasing others from this debt that, they, that you feel they owe you is unbelievably freeing on the other side of it once you've done it. That freedom allows you to step into what God calls us to be, to, re- to, to live the life of the bo- with the body, which is our final point this morning and how we close our time. Freedom from unforgiveness paves the way for the whole body of Christ to live out our collective calling. Christ calls us to be agents of his love, of his grace in this world, to love our enemies, to take the gospel to the nations, to make disciples of every every ethnic group around the world. But how can we do any of those things if we can't even live in harmony with each other here in this room? If, if we can't offer forgiveness with one another, if, if we can't live that way with our families at home, being proactive to bear with one another and to forgive each other is an important way that we pursue unity within the church. Think about it. It's only in us being unified that we'll effectively care for the body around us. It's only in sacrificially loving each other that we'll create an environment here where the outsider is welcome to come in and not feel like a stranger or an outsider. It's, it's only in us being unified through our love and our compassion that we can see the world around us impacted, through, at least see it through the lens in which God sees it and has a compassion and a love for the world. Only then can we begin to think about things like planting other churches, engaging in missions across the world, raising up leaders that we can then send out to other places around the globe. All of that starts with freedom from unforgiveness in our hearts. Unforgiveness left unchecked, it it festers into bitterness. Bitterness becomes life-consuming. And somehow in our flesh, we think our bitterness and our harboring of anger somehow punishes the other person, and all it does is it begins to kill us on the inside. It doesn't do that at all. It, It simply enslaves us in the chains that Christ has already purchased freedom for we must continually give grace remembering to love others well if not we we step out onto a slippery slope there's a surety of footing when you're living this way in this freedom friday morning i stepped out my front door i don't know if you had this experience and uh i i almost bit it i mean i almost it was almost winter for a while. we used to say when we lived in boston that it wasn't winter until you've fallen one time you know it was almost winter fully Friday morning. And I caught myself just as my feet went completely out from underneath me. The ice had formed and it was, you couldn't see it. It was invisible there. And I was doing that dance that you do, you know. You're not moving anywhere, but your whole body's moving, you know. And then so uh, living with unforgiveness can seem like everything is fine. And then all, all of a sudden, suddenly, whew, where did that come from? Out of seemingly nowhere, these emotions you're harboring, they just explode out of you into not just the person you're harboring this, it influences the rest of your life in ways that you just never even expected. When I was 18, I went on a a ski trip with some friends from university. And, of course, being from a tropical environment, 
I had never once ever snow skied in my life. Water ski, yes, but never even really in person saw snow skis. Uh, but it looked easy enough, and it looked fun. So my friend and I, without taking lessons or making sure we knew what we were doing, we thought it'd be fine. You know, and our 18-year-old, I'm invincible and I can do anything, supremely confident mindset, my friend James and I hopped on the cherry roof up to the top of the mountain, the beginning of the slopes, and we thought this is going to be so much fun. And uh, I just remember it vividly. It was beautiful. The sun was out. There was fresh snow on the ground. Uh, we just could not wait for what lay ahead. And all these chairs were ahead of us going. And, and without, like, clockwork, every time a chair would get to the top, people would put their skis down, ski to the side, skis down, ski to the side. And I was like, this is going to be great. I can't wait for this. And then came our turn. And the whole time we're thinking, how hard this, this could this be? But when, our, when we hopped off the chair, both of us, in a level of synchronization that Olympic swimmers only dream of, our feet went straight out from under us. We went straight down to the ground. And there we are flailing in the snow. Cannot move. They had to stop the whole chair roof going up and down the mountain for us while we drug ourselves out of the way. Um, humiliation was pretty epic to, to say the least and what I thought was going to be a piece of cake turned out not just to be this embarrassing moment but a moment that impacted everyone around me as well the crew had to rush to action to make sure everyone was safe and they didn't keep dropping people off on top of us while we continued to flail there helplessly uh, the other skiers were then delayed waiting on us to get out of the way our friends could do nothing but just watch to their amusement, but they just, they were helpless to do anything. And as funny as that is, I think it illustrates just how confident we think we can be when we hold on to a little bit of unforgiveness. A little bit of bitterness, it's okay. I got it under control. When all of a sudden, something triggers it. And before we even knew it, we lose our footing. And instead of it just affecting you and your heart, the outcome is that everyone around you has been impacted by your bitterness, your unforgiveness. Unforgiveness isn't something you can simply live with and, and it not enslave you. So today I want to close by asking a few questions. Just to, to diagnose whether or not this is an issue in our lives. First, follower of Jesus, are you harboring unforgiveness and bitterness is there anyone in your life that your mind automatically goes to when I ask that question that you feel anger kind of rise up within your heart resentment kind of swell is there anyone who you know that you're not right with today I just encourage you to not feel the feelings yet but make the choice to pursue reconciliation Secondly, are you bearing with one another? Within the church, are you working to extend grace to others? Especially those that it's difficult for you to be around, to get along with, that you find, man, it is, just takes a lot of energy to be around that person. I, again, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but every single one of us is that person for someone else. As much as I love myself, I'm that person for a lot of people, and I know that. But also there are people in my life that, I, man, I just have to pray, Lord, help me to love them. I want to honor you. I want to love them. So help me get over myself 
and love them well? Are you bearing with one another? This is not optional. It's a command given to us to forgive and to bear. And I want to make a pretty strong statement that might be offensive, but it's meant for your good this morning. If you're not forgiving as you should be or bearing with one another as you should be, I would suggest that it's not Christ that you're submitting to in your life. But really, you're submitting more to something else, someone else, or maybe your own desires and feelings. Maybe you're here and you've never actually put faith in Jesus this morning. You've never actually pursued following him as the way to be right with God. And, and today I've talked a lot about forgiveness that God offers. The reality is that every single one of us has a heart that's continually rebellious against God. We always want to go back to our way instead of God's way. The Bible says that the cost of, of, of us doing that is separation from him. But God, in his mercy, like we read there, in his love, has made a way to be right with him through Jesus if we'll trust in him and believe in him. And today I've talked a lot about this, but this new identity, compassion, being loved, being holy, being a chosen one. Jesus Christ demonstrated all these things to us. And the invitation for you is to respond to him. I'd love to talk to you after the service if that's you. Meet me during the, the coffee time, and let's have a conversation and talk about this. Maybe you need prayer this morning, and I'm here. There are others here who would love to pray with you about a situation in your life or an illness or just a difficulty. We're, we're here to pray for you this morning. As we close today, we're going to close and respond in song, but we're also going to respond by the table, partaking in the table. Um, and as we sing, I invite you to ponder in your heart, continue to diagnose is there unforgiveness taking residence in my heart? And in coming to the table, we remember that it was only because of the radical grace that was extended to us that we find freedom. So let this be a time where you both worship him for that freedom, but also take a moment to commit to live in this freedom of offering freely forgiveness and grace of bearing with one another patiently to keep short accounts with others. I'll add that if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, if you've never put faith in Jesus, we ask you not to partake in this, but just to observe it um, as our time of worship. This is a time for those who profess faith in Jesus. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Speaking of being wronged and unforgiveness, Jesus was betrayed that night. Knowing that was going to happen, he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at the end of the meal, he took the cup and raised it and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. We know that as often as we take this bread and this cup, that we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. We also know that we proclaim victory, freedom, forgiven. That's our, that's our title now. So, brothers and sisters, take this, eat this, drink this, and remember what Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your abundant, overwhelming grace that has been poured upon our lives. Not one of us deserves to be forgiven of our sin, yet you did it freely. You pursued us. You continue to pursue us, even when we're wayward. Lord, help us to commit to, not in our own strength, but to live in your strength and be people who are 
freely forgiving of others, to choose the hard choice and to forgive even when we don't feel like it, to bear with one another faithfully so that you may use us, so that you might unify our hearts and use us in this place and around the world. Lord, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is so precious to us. We cannot praise you enough for how good you are. In Jesus' name we pray.